Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, want to do the Beatles one?
Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast, the Gary Trust Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. So a little bit of a different start to the podcast this week. That's a live version performed recently right here in the Billboard Library in New York, where we record the podcast each week. Husband and wife folk duo, The Well Pennies. It's Sarah and Brian Vanderpool out of Austin, my hometown, now based in Iowa, where Sarah is from. So their version of the Beatles, All My Lovin', because this is Beatles Week here uh, on the podcast. Uh, it was this week in 1964 that the Beatles made chart history on the Billboard Hot 100 by claiming the entire top five on the Hot 100, dated April 4th, 1964. Only time that's ever happened. Uh, the only time an act that has monopolized the entire top five on the Hot 100. So uh, coming up, we're going to flash back to that week. Uh, we'll listen to the top five and speak to one of the world's uh, most foremost Beatles collectors. Dave Morell is uh, coming up on the podcast. Really interesting stories about collecting Beatles memorabilia and almost becoming an honorary Beatle himself, uh, as we'll find out from some of his uh, interactions with the Beatles uh, over the years. He has some great stories, uh, both uh, as a fan and uh, while working for Capitol Records later. So uh, Dave's coming up. Uh, we'll get to this week's Hot 100, where Drake uh, makes history of his own. It's not all uh, Beatles history. Drake uh, makes some history this week at number one in the Hot 100. Uh, first, uh, just before we uh, move on from uh, that Beatles cover we just heard, uh, when the Well Pennies were here, I asked them about what it's like to remake a Beatles song because that can be intimidating to try and improve or just to put your own take on, on uh, what the Beatles did. Uh, the song was actually recorded for the 2013 album Beatles Reimagined, which the Well Pennies oversaw. It features Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, other acts. Uh, here's what Sarah and Brian said about covering a Beatles song, uh, in this case, All My Love. That was really scary. I feel like we, because yes, Beatles are so beloved, you right. know, obviously, and we were, and you know, we know some hardcore Beatles fans, and they're like, "You're covering the Beatles song? Why would you ever do such a, you know, ruin such a perfect melody?" Right. But we kind of uh, how the Edward Sharp guys uh, kind of described it to us. They they said we want we don't want you to just do a straight cover. We want you to like wake up as and think like, oh, and you thought you wrote that song? Like, what would you? How would you change the melody? And so we tried to come at it as completely kind of with you know yeah like that as, kind if, of, we had as if we had written it so it's like trying not to to get their beautiful melody out of your head and just kind of blank slate it yeah we wanted yeah. to change it like just enough but still very much respect yeah. the song um so yeah so we did change it. We altered the melody on the verses a little. We added like a little bridge section, which we were nervous yeah. about. We're like, oh my gosh, we're adding something. Like Paul McCartney would hate this. He's going to kill us. just fix what yeah. you did, Paul. Especially because yeah. the first one, I mean, the melody of the original is like, I mean, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful, um, yeah. And catchy. I mean, all the Beatles stuff is. But yeah, so we were really happy with how it turned out. Um, but still scary. Even now, it's, singing it, sometimes you're like, ooh. You're just like, ooh, I don't yeah. know if these guys are going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. You see Paul and John in your I know, we do, like, over. shaking their heads, yeah. like, what are they doing? <laughs> Is this blasphemous? Yeah. Not blasphemous at all. A great version by the Well Pennies of All My Love and a different, a folkier version. Uh, another song by them coming up at the end of the podcast, too, an original song. So that's on the way. Uh, right now, as always, let's recap the top ten on this week's Billboard Hot 100. Ten, nine. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Number ten. Number seven. I'm losing my mind just a little. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? In the middle. Shelby Drive, look alive, look alive. Number six. Came up on this side, now they on the other side. Oh, well, fuck them, dog. We gonna see how hard they ride. I get rest to go outside and I split it with the guy. So you in the trench. Number five. So beautiful, I don't. 
Number Counting a perfect 10 for our friend Drake and his song, God's Plan. Number one again on Hot 100 for a 10th week. Uh, we've I, I, I almost uh, struggled in the past couple of weeks to, to keep adding some accolades to this song. Luckily, it crosses a big milestone for us this week. Uh, we had nothing to say at weeks eight and nine, but this is just... Yeah, easy. it's kind of like it's still hanging on, still out there. Uh, yes, but by hitting a nice double digits... For the first time, uh, Drake himself makes a bit of chart history. So uh, this week, with 10 weeks at number one, Drake uh, becomes the first and only male solo artist with two 10-week number ones, both in lead roles. All right, in case you need a uh, brief refresher, that was the first of his 10-week number ones. That was song One Dance uh, with his friends WizKid and Kyla back in the summer of 2016. And here we are again, not even two years later. He's got another one with God's Plan and only a few acts in general, you know, able to get two or more songs to that double-digit mark. Boys to Men up in that club, our friend Mariah Carey, two huge groups, Santana, Black Eyed Peas, and our friend Pharrell Williams. So Drake now in that exclusive club. And uh, he passes Pharrell, who uh, is the only solo member of that club uh, as a male artist. But uh, Pharrell was featured on Blurred Lines. He was lead on Happy. So, yeah, Drake is the only. So is that is that how he passes him? He passes him? What is so, it? Sort of. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're in the club, but he's he's uh, he gets a special jacket. Two two golds and a gold and a silver? Yeah, or? something like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, huge. We're talking six artists who've ever had a double-digit uh, number ones twice. Uh, and, and boys to men, I, I still think this might be surprising to some people, if, if you're not a complete avid chart watcher, that boys to men are the only act with three uh, 10-plus Week number ones, uh, they share the record. 16 weeks at number one on One Sweet Day with Mariah, uh, tied last year by Despacito. Uh, I'll Make Love to You, 14 weeks at number one. And End of the Road, 13 weeks. So in the entire Hot 100's history, boys to men are the only act to have three 10-plus week number ones. Uh, completely unrivaled. Uh, the way Drake's going, maybe he does become, uh, with another single, the third uh, member of that group at some point. Uh, shout out to anyone who listened to our 1996 countdown because you learned that fact first there. Uh, also, fun fact for those Boys to Men songs, they each, at one point, were record holders for Longest Week's number one on Hot 100. Right. Just saying. not I mean, even more than just being 10 weeks, they were uh, records of their time. All right, now, uh, of course, anytime basically a song gets to 10 weeks, there's always the, the chart fans, the lambs, now the believers, whoever, those ears perk up. Can the song make it six more weeks and tie that all-time mark uh, that Gary just mentioned held by One Sweet Day and Despacito. We'll see. I mean, there's not, at, at this moment, the competition is uh, it's pretty distant from Drake. So, I mean, he's he's got some time. The song's at number two, three, four, as you guys just heard, meant to be uh, finesse, perfect. Not quite going to mount that challenge, it looks like, in, in the next couple of weeks without a huge momentum swing for one of those songs. So... Chart Watchers, maybe your next bet, if you want to look for the next number one, is something that could show up on the charts next week. Uh, we got a surprise EP by by The Weeknd, who's been one of the hit makers of the past two, three years. There's a song in particular, Call Out My Name, doing very well at this point, Tuesday afternoon on Spotify, selling pretty well. 
Maybe that gets enough momentum in the next coming weeks. We've got a new Cardi B single. Also, be careful. Should make an impact on the Hot 100 next week. The album coming out also this Friday. So maybe that one-two punch could be enough to get Cardi back in the top slot. Uh, you know, heating up, heating up as we get closer into uh, festival seasons, spring, summer, when a lot more artists will be releasing material. But um, the race is on, you know. No one's been able to topple Drake really even close in these past 10 weeks. Does he have six more in him? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Cardi B because last year we were having the same conversation when Despacito was uh, getting towards the record and then it got to its 16th week. And same thing we were saying. But what could possibly knock this song out? It, it too, had, had a pretty big lead at number one for a while. Uh, we, we thought we knew at the time Taylor Swift was coming and then she did. And then uh, Look What You Made Me Do did get to number one. But, but it was right after that that Cardi B herself, uh, she uh, dethroned Taylor. Bodak Yellow. Yeah, so it was a combination of, of an act who uh, we knew uh, had the track record, like Taylor, but then someone just totally out of nowhere, like Cardi B. So uh, we'll see if history uh, repeats as this uh, as God's Plan continues to be number one. Is is there an artist uh, on Taylor's level that could come out with something that could uh, maybe uh, debut or, or uh, shoot right to number one, or Cardi herself, or an act that again we really don't know at the moment. Maybe maybe in a month and a half someone could just come along uh, virally and suddenly have a number one song that dethrones god's plan all all real scenarios but yeah it definitely seems like the next number one uh i would think a lot of people would say is not on the chart yet just because god's plan has such a huge lead even its 10th week at number one it it has a a 1.7 to one almost a two to one points lead over meant to be by bb rexton florida georgia line at number uh, two so uh that song probably at number two just isn't going to suddenly double its points and, and knock out Drake. Drake can continue to slip a little bit, but uh, we're seeing uh, still over 60 million streams this week. It's not just going to fall apart the way it's going. So looks like, yeah, it's got number one locked up at least, at least going forward for the next little bit. All right. Well, um, I'm sure the Lambs believers in Drakers, Drakists, I'm sure they'll be watching for the next uh, month or so too. All right, let's uh, go way back, uh, talking about chart history this week, 54 years ago. This is how the top five of the Billboard Hot 100 sounded April 4th, 1964, from number five to number one. Money, money can buy me love, buy me love, love, buy me love. 
Only one act in that top five. Uh, the Beatles, uh, number five to number one this week on the Billboard Hot 100. 54 years ago, 1964. Let's just uh, recap uh, those five songs that we heard from number five to number one. A song at number five, Please Please Me. A song that hit number three. It was down from number four to five. Number four, the one that started it all, seven weeks. And number one for I Want to Hold Your Hand. It was down uh, from two to four. And uh, to tie that to more modern uh, history, uh, when Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl hit number one in 2008, 10 years ago. Uh, that was number one for seven weeks. Tied, I Want to Hold Your Hand, as the longest leading debut hit for an act on Capitol Records. So Beatles and Katy Perry, uh, all those uh, decades apart, but uh, obviously an iconic song. Uh, number four, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh, number three, second number one for the Beatles that replaced I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh, down from number one this week, uh, 1964, to number three, She Loves You. Uh, I'll just say, that's actually my favorite Beatles song. So I, I know, Trevor, it's sort of cool to say uh, maybe, maybe like uh, the more psychedelic late 60s Beatles era songs. I'm I'm just going to own it. I, I love that early 60s poppy Beatles song. Surprise. Uh, number two, up to its peak, Twist and Shout. And uh, number one, record-setting number one, from number 27 all the way to number one, Can't Buy Me Love by the Beatles. Uh, it's their third number one, so uh, they're the only act ever to go back to back to back uh, to number one with I Want to Hold Your Hand right into She Loves You right into Can't Buy Me Love uh, no one else has ever done that uh, also the biggest jump for 38 years on the Hot 100 to number one again going from number 27 to number one that was a record until Kelly Clarkson came along in uh, 2002 a 52 to 1 jump for a moment like this and uh, Kelly would then uh, have the current record 97 to 1 for My Life Would Suck Without You in 2009, but uh, talking about almost 40 years, record number one, 27 to number one for the Beatles. So, yeah, this week, 1964, the entire top five, all Beatles, never been done since. No one else has ever really even come close to having the entire top five in a week. All right, to help us explain this monumental impact and this this huge record on the Hot 100, we're going to bring in someone who I could, you could really argue is the... basically the foremost Beatles collector that maybe has ever existed. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to bring in a guy. His name is Dave Morell. Uh, he went from just collecting Beatles records, just swept up in Beatlemania like the rest of the country at the time. But unlike those millions of fans around the country, this guy actually had enough interesting material and memorabilia that John Lennon himself actually wanted to meet the guy. They met several times over the years. He's met Paul McCartney, Ringo, George. We're four for four on meeting all the Beatles. And eventually he worked at Capitol Records, uh, the home of so many of those big Beatles hits. So without further ado, we're going to bring in Dave Morell to help us talk about the Beatles. Dave, welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Gary. Really appreciate it. Let's uh, ask you first, uh, how'd you become a Beatles fan? Uh, just I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. From the very beginning, before you were a collector, before you were working uh, with Capital, uh, what, what first made you a Beatles fan? You know, it, the unique thing about any record or recording to one's ear is how it makes you jump, jump out of your pants. It's uh, it's a feeling you can't really... Uh, if we hit the notes of I Want to Hold Your Hand now, how many people would really jump like we did when we all first heard it? It was extraordinary what happened. 
Now, if you follow Billboard back then, or if you're a DJ, and there were very few magazines uh, to read about, as that summer was picking up in 1963, in the back pages, you'd start to read about the Beatles. You couldn't ignore it. Although, I'm not sure by the research I've done, you'd be able to find these records in America, because they didn't say what the labels were. So they weren't able to really get off the ground. But the buzz in the back of that magazine of what was happening in Europe could not be denied if you had time to read the whole magazine. Now, this is when the end of 1963 comes into play. It's Christmas time. I'm born and bred in New York City. WABC plays I Want to Hold Your Hand in the end of December of 1963. And it did something to all of us that gave us a fountain of youth, even though we were youthful. Uh, homework was easy then. We were 10 years old. And what's really unique is that record on WABC, one of the toughest radio stations in America, where Rick Sklar really looked over these records with microscopes before they went on the radio. For him to put that record on at number 38 on his chart, and it explode to number one the following week yeah. was unheard of. And we didn't have a picture of the Beatles to look at. We didn't have a B-side. We didn't really know their names. It just went. It was that kind of a spark plug, fellas. So what was it about the song for you, uh, Dave? Was it just uh, sort of uh, how everyone reacts? It just, you, know, you just never heard anything like this before. It made me want to play it again. You know, it made me want to, the radio guy to play it again. And he was juiced up because he was getting the reaction back from everybody. So he was goosing us up. So I immediately reacted to that record and stayed glued. And, uh, you know, over the next several weeks, they were four guys. They were all playing their instruments. They all wore the same suits. You know, the record has had a gigantic hook. So, you know, that's what really kicked off the Beatlemania. And I just want to say this about She Loves You. The She Loves You song, which is one of the most, it's, it's most, one of the most hottest records on a 45. It, it, was, it was just done so hot on the mix that if you drop a needle on that, that record explodes on a 45 RPM record. Yeah. Very hot a mix on that record. But that record was actually tested in Philadelphia on Dick Clark's show in August of 63. He plays the record, and the kids boo-hoo it. Had that record exploded and he stuck with it, fellas, the Beatles would have been on the Dick Clark show. Right. Worked out for Ed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Beatles uh, start to become huge all through uh, 64. Uh, did that just spark uh, your love for them so much that you started becoming a collector of all things Beatles? Yes. As a matter of fact, for every all the kids out there listening, particularly the kids, you know, who we want to spark their interest in collecting records, knowing about charts, how records move. It's the most exciting thing in the world. It's like calling a baseball game. It's so different every week and every day and every song is so different. So with the Beatles, here's the fascination. So I want to hold your hand comes out. And if you uh, went to a popular store in town that had good stock, you'd find it with a picture sleeve. So there you've got a picture, you know, of the Beatles. Now, when this She Loves You record comes out, it's on a different label than Capitol. So that was a tough 45 single cover to find. Now, all of a sudden, another label shows up with uh, Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You on Tolly Records. Well, what's Tolly Records? How did we find out who Tolly Records was? There was no sleeve for that that I could find at the time. And when it, we did find it, it was like a, a drawing kind of a thing of the Beatles. So all of a sudden it became, uh, you know, I want the new Beatle record. I'm loving what I'm hearing on the radio. It's making me want to hold it so that I could play it when the radio's not playing it. And if I get a picture cover, then I could look at it. Right. So I'm hearing New York radio, and I'm going to. I'm, I'm getting. I'm asking my old man to take me to Woolworths or Klein's, these big department stores, so I could find the records. So this led to this, you know, collecting of records. And, of course, I couldn't resist telling you all that the first thing that happens to you when you're electrified into the Beatles is you no longer want to look like Humphrey Bogart with a grease hair back. You know, you got to comb your hair back, have a cigarette when you grow up. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to try to pull on our hair and let it grow and not, not comb it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're really searching for Beetle boots. 
you know, but in mainstream America, you know, where are you going? Tom McCann's? You know, they're going to have a, a European beetle boot with a Cuban heel. <laughs> so the silliness erupted all over us. Right. It, it, it wiggled us to our toes. The music, the sounds, the, the, what the Beatles look like, of what they dress like. Holding an album cover in your hand. Fellas, we know the experience of that. You could just sit and do it for hours. I want to skip ahead, Dave, to what I think is is probably uh, the most famous story that a lot of uh, collectors uh, know. It's uh, that you had a piece of memorabilia among so much that you had that John Lennon wound up finding out about and was so interested in. It's how you wound up meeting him. Can you tell the story of how uh, you had Beatles uh, product that even John Lennon was like, yeah, I got got to meet this guy. I got to see that. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. It's the greatest story in the world. Um, and I'm so, uh, I, I can't even believe it. Every time I tell it, it makes me, myself go crazy. Here we go. So, Lennon comes to New York City and he's hanging around a lot in 1971. He's in the village. He, he lives on Bank Street. Uh, Yoko tells him about a guy named Howard Smith who has a radio show. He also writes the scenes column for the Village Voice. How hip is that? I'm the guy that writes the scenes column. So they connected with him and, and, and got, got engaged with the vibe of New York City and the village. And Howard often had John on his radio shows. As a matter of fact, it was so chummy that one time Howard was going to interview Frank Zappa, and he was a nervous nilly around Zappa, so he brought John Lennon and didn't tell Zappa. Yeah. And it's a great interview. And that evening, Lennon sat in with uh, Zappa at the Fillmore East and played a song that he hadn't done since he was in the in the cavern in Liverpool. I mean, history, historic. So, you know, you got that thing happening. And then one week, uh, he had John and Yoko on, and it became what I call a happening where having listened to radio my whole life, this wasn't a regular show where he said, uh, good evening, John and Yoko are my guests. All of a sudden, the station was on, and they were just acting out like insane. Yoko screaming, John going crazy. And it was so insane that after an hour, they started to take phone calls on the air. Uh, and they were really witty and nutty. And I got through on the phone to speak with John Lennon. Here I am in my little hometown and John Lennon's in my ear on the phone in real time. I'm like, oh my God. So I had a little witty exchange with him. Okay, I'll get back to this in a moment. It means something. All right. So then, as we're coming into Christmas in 1971, Lennon is in this really great mood. He's no longer got really long hair and and lashing out about Beatles and uh, put it behind you. He's happy. He's in New York. He's just recorded Happy Christmas, you know, War is Over, one of the greatest songs ever. And uh, so he's in a sensational mood. Me, I'm at home. I'm reading Rolling Stone. In the back of Rolling Stone magazine in the Wante, I mean, in the classifieds, they had uh, albums for sale. And one of these had these uh, bootleg albums. And at that time in my life, I really was fascinated by bootleg albums. I had found a bunch in New York City. I found a bunch in these uh, head shops. I found a bunch at the amusement parks. And they were all illicit recordings of a live show of the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Get Back album, and an album by Bob Dylan called The Great White Wonder, which was his demo sent to Europe that, you know, Man for Van heard and had a hit off them and things of that nature. So this bootlegs was a big deal for me. And it was a listing for this Beatle album called Yellow Matter Custard, and it listed some songs on it, including Glad All Over. So my imagination said two things. If it's called Yellow Matter Custard, maybe it has an outtake of uh, I Am the Walrus. I've got to hear that. And Glad All Over, did the Beatles, did the Dave Clark Five song, even as a gag? I've got to hear that. I don't know that. And these other songs I never heard, I Just Don't Understand was one. Um, so I ordered the, the record, and it came. And I ran it up to my bedroom, and I put the needle on it, and I heard an acoustic guitar and John Lennon sing. And I went, oh my God, this is a Beatles song that I've never heard before, and it really is him singing, and this is the Beatles. I went insane. And Glad All Over was like a Carl Perkins song, and I just don't understand, was an obscure Anne Margaret song, a classic original recording with a fuzz-toned guitar, if you ever hear it. So this thing dazzled me. You know, the Beatles had broken up in 1970. Right. We knew every recording they ever made, every song they ever wrote, an authorized biography, books are being written. No way this is... What is this? So what do I do? I wrote to 
Howard Smith. I said, if you ever have John Lennon on your show again, you've got to ask him about this record I got uh, with these songs. I come home, and my mother says, Howard Smith called you. To me, it was like getting a call from Marlon Brando. Like, what? A celebrity calling me? Oh, my God, give me the phone. And it, he was at the Village Voice office, and he said, I showed John. Your, I said, huh? He says, I showed John your letter, and he wants to meet you. I said, what? So I got the album with me, and I spent the afternoon putting all my Beatles stuff my memorabilia that I didn't think John would have ever seen as a beetle uh, in a bat, in a big uh, suitcase, like a nut. And I ran over to New York City. I picked up Howard Smith. We met each other. And I told him about the exchange we had on the phone with John Lennon when he had him on having that happening I told you guys about. And he said, John remembered that. That was so funny. Uh-huh. Oh, he like tell him that was you. He remembered that. I said, what? He goes, yeah, when the show was over, he goes, that call was so funny. So I was moved. I walk into Record Plant, and I'm going to meet John Lennon for the very first time. And, you know, as a 10-year-old boy, I looked up to him thinking he was like a Johnny Cash guy, really tall, barrel-chested, you know, powerful handshake. And when I opened, they opened the door and he stood there, I was, uh, you know, a lot taller than him. And he was very soft and very gentle speaking. And he invited me in to a recording session. And so he said, why don't you have a seat? Uh, We're working here now. And Lennon was so kind. He says, what have you got? And I opened up my suitcase of of, of stuff. And I said, it's a bunch of stuff I've been saving since I was a kid. And you might not have seen some of the stuff. I'd love to share it with you. He goes, yeah, yeah. So I took out um, that album called The Savage Young Beatles on Savage Records. Because, you know, it's on Savage Records. Just like, let's say, if it was on Capitol Records. So let's say the Capitol Beatles or the VJ Beatles. But since it was on Savage Records, the, the Savage Young Beatles, and it just looked so motorcycling and dangerous. <laughs> and he loved it. He goes, "Wow, this is amazing!" So I said, "Yeah, yeah, you could have that one." And I said, "Look at this one. It was also on Savage Records, and it was called Best of the Beatles. And it was this picture of the, all the Beatles in Hamburg, but with Pete Best. And around Pete Best, very uh, faintly, was a it was a circle on Pete Best. So it was Pete Best, but they didn't say that." best of the Beatles, and it was this Pete Best record. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, so I showed it to John, and he threw it across the the whole studio <laughs> at the corner of my rare record. And then I showed him the Beatle baseball card, and it was a very clever Beatle baseball card where the Beatles, had, uh, the artist had drawn the Beatles with no hair. And Lennon cracked up. He goes, oh, my gosh, uh, look at this. You've got to show this to Yoko. I said, where is she? He says, she's right outside the door there. So I go outside the door, and there's Yoko very quietly on a chair reading a book. And I said, Yoko, and she looked up. I said, John wanted me to show this to you. And she looked at it, and she took a pen, and she put Yoko Ono on it and handed it back to me and didn't say a word. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I was like, mind blown. Wow. So I went back in, and, you know, we, we chatted for a while. And what was really cool about John was, you know, when you were around him and Yoko, uh, it was very, uh, she wasn't into the rock and roll record scene. So she would draw out all the politics or other things that were more adult intellectual leaning. But when Lennon was alone, he was a rip and you know, talking about the oldies. Now, on November 7th, 1971, in New Jersey, where I live, in the Star Ledger, a guy did an article on John and Yoko and said, uh, this is where they're living. Uh, this is what their house looks like. And amongst the stuff in the house that he saw was a yellow vase and a rare withdrawn Beatles album where they're dressed as Bloody Butcher Boys, uh, the Yesterday and Today album. Well, on November 7, 1971, to think that John Lennon is in New York with that in his hands is mind-blowing. That shows me he's a record collector. You know, he has it with him. So, him and I are talking. And he says, Dave, you know, this is great. You got some great stuff. What can I do? What are you, what, what are you missing in your Beatle collection? And I said, the Beatle butcher cover. And he says, oh, let me ring up for it. And he gets this guy to call. He calls his house and this guy is bringing it up within, you know, 20 minutes. Howard Smith doesn't know what's going on, what we're talking about. There's just the three of us in the studio. 
this brilliant record arrives of the yesterday and today, and it's the butcher cover, and it's John Lennon's, and he's holding it in his hand. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. And he hands it to me, and he uh, Howard Smith goes, what's the story? And John took his time and told him all about Capitol Records and the cover and why they did it and how cool and avant-garde it was, and they, they didn't want it, and they reshot it, and blah, blah, blah. So as we're rolling, John takes out a pen and puts real big to Dave from John Lennon, and he signed it December 7th, 1971, one month after I read about it in the newspaper, as far flung as anyone in America would read about any object in today's paper, to think in 30 days' time this magic would occur, and John wanted me to have that record. That led to me having the butcher cover and me beginning a relationship with John Lennon that lasted a very long time. And, uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get the Beatle butcher cover from John. What a magic moment, fellas. When I wake up early in the morning With my head I'm still yawning When I'm in the middle of a dream As that's happening, uh, Dave, are, are you just totally lost in the moment that you're talking to him, or is there a part of you, or maybe it's both, that you're thinking, oh my God, I'm having a conversation with John Lennon? You know, uh, he was so warm, he cut that down immediately. He, The way he greets you and looks in your eyes, he's pulling you right into his soul where you're not spinning and thinking, oh my God, I'm looking at album covers. And uh, the immediate attraction is when he opens up his voice and you're hearing it out of his mouth, a voice that you heard on the radio or on record your whole life, the way that he, uh, has, the way he speaks. And um, since he was interested in the topic, which was these songs, right. and he hadn't talked about them, um, it, it really opened him up in a big way. So speaking to John on that rock and roll level was really amazing. And just to take it a step further... My personal questions to him were, for instance, you know, I saw you at Shea Stadium in 1965. I was so fortunate myself, I got to see the Beatles two times. And I'd say to him, you know, did you ever rehearse the songs you were going to do? Did you do them in an order that you thought them out? Did you think about what new songs should be in the set and what old songs should come out of the set? You know, um, what song you would lead with? You know, these kind of questions. Right. And he, he was like way into it because interviewers didn't ask him those kind of questions. And that's what was so attractive of, of being with him. So, Dave, eventually you wound up working for Capitol Records, right? What, what did you do? What years were you there? And did that lead you to uh, hang out with the other oh. Beatles as well? Yes, it was, it was unbelievable. I was at Capitol for an entire decade, uh, and I've, I've written 55 chapters on it. My next book, my fourth uh, memoir, will be all about these days. And it was so fantastic. Let me tell you a great story right here and now. So here we go. We just signed Paul McCartney at Capitol Records again. He was on Columbia. Give my regards to Broad Street, Tug of War, McCartney too. Now he's returning to Capitol. And Mr. Beetle not here is a Capitol. So they're having the party in New York City at the Radio City Music Hall. And his first single, of course, I want it to be uh, Hey Jude. And it... Um, you know, it was uh, Spies Like Us, which didn't do that well, you know. And they said it was in a movie with Chevy Chase and uh, we thought, and Ackroyd, so we thought that might have some juice to it. So we all invited all the radio people to see this movie, but it wasn't in the movie. It was like at the end with the credits, which was, you know, not where it belonged. So that was tough to get off the ground, and I certainly didn't want to be Paul after not having the most successful a run of a record that any promotion man could ever give to the man he loves. Right. That's simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm at Radio City Music Hall, and his new album had come out, and there's a song on there called Move Over Busker. It's about these buskers in London that are in the subways, and they play the songs. You know, it's a phrase he uses, move over busker. Okay, so I'm standing at Radio City Music Hall, and I'm with Basker Menon, the worldwide chairman of EMI, Don Zimmerman, uh, Rupert Perry, all these hot doggers. 
And all of a sudden, McCartney pokes his way into this circle. And I'm like, whoa, you know. And uh, he knew all of these other men, you know, in his lifetime. So he's like, Basker, hello, and Don, hello, hello. And then they said, oh, this is Dave. He's our New York City promotion man, and he, and he loves you, Paul. And Paul goes, hey, Dave, how are you doing? I said, oh, great. He says, uh, what, what, the, what songs do you like on the album? So I said, well, I, I love Move Over Baskar. <laughs> Instead of move over Busker, because I was standing next to Basker Menon. <laughs> it was really strange for a moment to get my grip back. And uh, so we chatted for a few moments. He had a lot of people to meet. Okay. So I break away, and I was with Danny Fields, who knew Linda McCartney really well. So we spent some time together. So as we came down to where a lunch was being served, circular tables, Linda McCartney puts her arm in mine and says, you're with me. And we walk over to McCartney's table and Paul says, sit down. And I sat at his table, which, you know, certainly wasn't protocol for a local promotion man at a table like this. So I sat there and Paul said to me, so what's up? What do we got coming? I said, oh, I noticed on the beat on our catalog at the Capitol Records catalog, uh, there's a Beatle Rarities album coming out. He says, oh, no, no, no. But I put an end to that. No, not doing it. I said, I, I said it's already in the catalog. The salesmen have, have been soliciting it. He says, no, who came up with that? I said, I, I don't know. He says, well, what's on it? I said, well, you know, there's going to be an outtake on the walrus. And he said, what, what, out, what outtake number? I said, who, 19? Well, who picked 19? How come not 17 or 22? He says, you know, I didn't get a chance to pick any of that. I said, geez, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. He says, well, let me tell you, go back home and listen to the final one. That's the one, man. No, none of the one. The final one. You'll dig it. I said, I got it. I got it. I said, what about songs that people never heard uh, you do? He goes, like, what? I go, well, the demo of Come and Get It is on it. And, you know, I heard it, Paul, and it sounds just like Badfinger. He says, that's right. Exactly. I told the boys, do it exactly this way for the hit. Exactly. <laughs> and now the table's breaking up. And Paul's getting really animated about the record. So I said, so he says, what else is on there? I said, how about songs nobody's ever heard before by the Beatles? He says, name one. I said, that means a lot. So he picks up his chin really high and pulls on his little vocal cord there. And he goes, can't you see? He goes, rubbish, rubbish. I wouldn't want anyone to hear that stinker. <laughs> So the ice was broken, broken. So Morell saw the moment, wasn't intruding. I wasn't that kind of guy. I was not that kind of guy to intrude on anybody. But it was the moment was right. I pulled out the Beatle butcher cover. <laughs> and I handed it to him. And he goes, wow, wow. If you didn't have this signature on here, meaning John's, I'd nick this off you. I haven't seen one of these in years. So... It was absolutely stunning and fantastic, fellas. Wow. Uh, any any chance you uh, ran into George or Ringo? Yes. Oh, all of them. And um, awesome. oh, We're four Ringo, for four. Okay. One, oh. Yeah. I, I, you know, in my lifetime, I got to see the Beatles perform two times at Shea Stadium, 1965, 1966. And I was such a nut job and had access. Because when people meet us all from New York... They all say, hey, I had the same life, but I just didn't have the New York City access to some of the venues. So, you know, we had the access. And, of course, that led to the uh, Bangladesh concert with George Harrison and Friends, and that, which was two of the Beatles at Madison Square Garden. That led a year later to the uh, John Lennon one-to-one -one benefit concerts, two concerts. The only two concerts John Lennon ever gave in his life that he announced on performing and uh, putting a show together. That was phenomenal. Um, then Paul came with Wings. You know, so, you know, as, as it rolled on, uh, having uh, those New York experiences, you know, were, were really over the moon uh, with, with the Fab Four. And so, having seen him twice in all those shows, uh, I finally got to meet them all. And uh, George, it was the last one I met. Ringo, I, I had met early, wonderful guy. I had memorabilia with me, you know, and I took some pictures. As a matter of fact, funny story with the day I met Ringo. I had my camera, my Beetle Butcher cover. And as he's getting into a car, I'm scrambling, and I take a picture of him getting in the car. Okay, and I have the picture. So 40 years later, thanks to the Internet, um, somebody posts some pictures of Ringo that day, and there's the picture of me in the background taking the picture of him. 
it, it was so great to have a picture of me and Ringo, even though I'm the nutty fan in the background. Right. And uh, so with George, um, I did. It was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I couldn't bring myself to to bring that butcher cover. And yet, many people who knew George would say, "Give me it, I'll get it done." And I wouldn't let it out of my hands. You know, I had to know what clothes they were wearing, what kind of mood they were, and I had to do the, the legwork. But anyway, I didn't take it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I did take a tape recorder in my cummerbund uh, that night. And this was when the Beatles were getting inducted. So I'm sitting in my seat. I was sitting behind Bur Bur Barry Gordy. And uh, all of a sudden, this, this is before the show and everything, all of a sudden, you know, George Harrison comes in with Ringo and they sit down. And then all of a sudden, Bob Dylan sits with them. And all of a sudden, you know, Elton John sits with them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. You know, so I gulped two quick glasses of champagne. I rattled my body, you know, like a gunslinger at high noon. Had to go out and get some action here. And I went over to the table, you know, and I said, George, I'm a big fan. And uh, and he shook my hand and then put his other hand on top of it. The double handshake. I didn't get that from the other boys. <laughs> I got the double handshake and full eye contact. And I said, you know, I've bought your books. He has his Genesis publications where he did his autobiography, I Mean Mine very limited edition books and I had purchased uh, the series so he said uh, I've got the other one upstairs if you're around at the end of the show you come on up I'll show it to you so he was so warm and lovely and beautiful uh, I couldn't ask for anything more in my whole life and I want to say this without a doubt the Beatles you know molded me were my morality scale they took me from A to Z when I got into the record business, I worked with everybody from Aerosmith to Zappa. I spent 40 years in New York City being a promotion man. And I'll tell you, nobody was as nice as the Beatles. None of them. You know, uh, ego-wise, caring about others, uh, taking their time. Never, uh, never a problem to ask any of them any questions in the world. So um, I had to really let you know that. Because that led me, when I got into the record business and worked with these guys, to have real healthy boundaries around them and what we could get away with and what we weren't going to get away with and how we were going to do it right. Uh, one quick question, sort of spinning uh, the Beatles' legacy forward, because, I mean, obviously, when you're celebrating even just this top five accomplishment on the Hot 100, we all know how how massive an institution, an icon that the Beatles became. Uh but looking forward, uh, one thing that I'm interested in is, um, I mean, if, as most current music consumers will know, hip-hop, rap is the form of music that a lot of kids are listening to nowadays. And, you know, rock obviously was, was the influence of the past 40, 50 years. So, I mean, all your guitarists, all your singer-songwriters, they all sort of fell out of that Beatles mold. It's pretty easy to see where their influences were, what records they listened to. Do you have as, as unfathomable as it seems right now, do you have any fear or, or worry or a sense that 50 years from now, 75 years from now, the Beatles may not be as big an institution, as, as, as remembered, as celebrated, as influential on those musicians as they are today? You know, I, as a 20-year-old, I couldn't answer that. But as a 65-year-old man, I can answer that. This is a renaissance, fellas. I, I've got I've got the wisdom. I put my mind, spirit. We followed all these records, these charts for all these years. We've seen it flip flop, uh, tailspin, whatever. There's no question. This is like a, a period in time where the clock strikes twelve and civilization begins, and then the 15 minutes after, you have you know the uh, the iconic uh, painters of the 15th century, uh, and then it goes away, but it stays forever. That is where we're at with this music. I could tell you. That is exactly where we're at. It's a period that has now gone by. It's not. We know it's not there anymore. But the profound effect, I'll tell you something. Being a Beatles fan, I can tell you some things. The, the Beatles didn't do 50 bad songs. Elvis did. The Beach Boys did. Bob Dylan did. The Beatles didn't do 50 bad songs. This catalog holds up. This uh, period of time, you go to all the record places in all of America or European nations, you follow the collectors, just like you would baseball cards, let's say. Uh, the Who, it's not there. There's no collectible series there. The Kinks, I'm sorry. The Beatles. 
And you know what? It has peaked, and it's struggling to stay to stay afloat. But Elvis is also having a problem. So when you look at the those older statesmen characters, uh, those iconic figures, I think the Beatles will be around for a hundred years. And I feel that because, as I follow the Beatle blogs, the collectors, the new series of young people fills me with hope. And there, and anytime you hear a new song, it's even if it's old, it's new. If you hear a twenty-five-year-old old record, you never heard it's new. And I always thought, growing up, that nobody would have had that experience we've had of going from Meet the Beatles to the Beatles' second album onward. We marched. We know the order. We know the hairstyles. We know what happened. We know how it fit. Nowadays, kid walks into a store. He's ten. What's he going to buy? Sergeant Pepper first. So you, you, you feel as though they've missed that. But you know what? When they put out Sgt. Pepper last year, they did such an amazing job. It's still on your charts. And now they're going to set the world on fire with the White Album and all the outtakes. And, of course, that blew everybody's mind. It's simplicity. It showed that the Beatles were a campfire band that could perform again. <clears throat> and also they're going to follow it up with Let It Be, with finally the movie, outtakes, the Beatles having fun again. Yeah, the Beatles will, will remain forever. Being on the internet now and having international people I deal with with Beetle collections, my Facebook page is all Beetle catnip. I love putting uh, pictures up, things up that people haven't seen or just makes them feel young again. It's a happy page. And, and the requests of people that read my work about uh, what I write about uh, are all uh, people who uh, love the Beatles in countries that are new to the Beatles. And let me say this. One of the most iconic images that brings me to mind about the Beatles in the world is in National Geographic, they showed a woman in Kenya, you know, washing her clothes and had a little record player and the Beatles were on it. And this was back then, you know, it just made me feel great that that magic has happened all over the world. Dave, these stories are great. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us about them all today. Really appreciate it. I'll tell you, guys, I really enjoyed you letting me speak. What makes it so funny is when I went into this, I knew I'd only have a few minutes, and I said, whoa, <laughs> Dave Morell with a few minutes. This could be rough. <laughs> so thank you for letting me stretch out. I want to say I love Billboard. I love you guys. Keep the great work going, and I hope we speak again, and I'm always keeping an eye on you fellas. Yo, again, thank you so much, Dave. I mean, it's, it's awesome to just hear anecdotes thank from you, somebody who was really there. Uh, man, I was blessed, lucky, uh, humble, grateful, and anytime I could share the experience and, and bring somebody else along in those wonderful times that we had as fans and people that love records that you write about and charts that you write about, uh, all those statistics made us as goofy as we are today. So thanks, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Okay, bye-bye now. And in the end, the love you take is equal to Great hearing these stories from Dave Morell on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Uh, I was thinking, Trevor, I said before, uh, She Loves You. It's my favorite Beatles song. I didn't ask you. Do you have a favorite Beatles song? Um, I, I didn't for a while. I guess if I have to pick one, probably <laughs> uh, the song that I, you know, just kill the best on Beatles Rock Band. Uh, I like the song Get Back. Yeah. I do like Get Back. I, I think it's, uh, you know, clever. Like, like a lot of the Beatles songs, where the lyrics are cleverly simple like a sophisticated simple they're not you know i mean they're sort of just short one word you know or short one syllable two syllable kind of words it's not hugely like this complex poetry but it says so much and it's just got a great sort of a like an, like an easygoing familiarity but it's not really a bop but I don't, I, I, there's something about it that i think just comes together so so nicely that that it's sophisticated yet simple and of course, we have to disagree. I have to like early Beatles. You have to like late Beatles. Of course. Always. 
so uh, great to hear from Dave here on the, the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Let's close with another song. We had the, the Well Pennies back at the beginning of the podcast doing a great cover of All My Lovin' that they recorded uh, when they were here in New York at Billboard. It's a single they released uh, last year, we'll close with, called Ooh La La. Uh, they have great original music, by the way, 2015 album they put out called Endlings, a great pop folk. Uh, they've toured with Diana Krall, uh, moved from Boston to Iowa. It's kind of interesting, they said it's uh, it's obviously cheaper uh, to live in Iowa than Boston. They can have a home studio. They can make more of a name for themselves in a big city. Easier to build a following when you're not in, in a major uh, city. Kind of interesting on a business sense uh, that they, they said that. Uh, before they play us out, I uh, just want to close with a clip uh, before that song of Sarah and Brian, again, the Wellpennies, talking about being an indie folk act, trying to make a living as musicians, just because here on the podcast, we love to talk about, uh, we always say why what's on the charts is on the charts. And it really starts with uh, how you make a living as a musician uh, first, uh, how they've done something that not all artists do, and that's embracing streaming, uh, even if it's not a big money maker. Uh, they say it's worth it. So you're going to hear them say that in just a second. Uh, you know, just kind of interesting, Trevor. We always talk about uh, Drake and Cardi B and Taylor Swift and all these acts that are number one on the Hot 100. It's what we talk about here on the podcast. But 99.999% uh, of all musicians aren't at that level. They're not at those financial means. So uh, this is actually good business advice for just about every act out there that's trying to make a living as a musician. And you know, to me, it kind of comes down to if you can if you can make a living and you can make music and that makes you happy that's that's probably the goal for for almost every musician out there yeah i mean you talk to anybody they they do it really for the love of music and you know everyone goes into it knowing that the odds of them not making it are really really big and the fact that they still make that choice to go in just shows how dedicated they are uh to their craft and and the enjoyment emotionally that they get out of it all right, so uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, be, again, be sure to tune in, see where the weekend, Cardi B land, and if perhaps they can land at number one, knock Drake out, or if he's on board for an 11th week. But to close out this Beatles edition of this week's Chart Beat podcast, uh, once again, let's hear it for the Well Pennies. We've really embraced the streaming kind of culture that has shifted from... Buying. Which, you know, the music industry has been really down on... Uh, the like streaming, Spotify. yeah, Spotify, right. and yeah, you don't those. always hear artists say we love streaming because yeah. you're making whatever percentage and of a we, cent. We per have stream. loved the streaming. Like as soon as Spotify started to take off, we completely embraced it. I mean, it's a great idea in general, anyway, um, of just having all the music at your fingertips for like you know a monthly thing. But um, uh, we found like an audience on Spotify, and we got on playlists, and we've you know used it as almost like a social media platform, and we found ourselves like you know getting opportunities just from Spotify audiences. I mean, we've had tons of like music placement in television and film because of it. We've got Oh, we went to Alaska. Yeah, we all these program directors of of um performing arts, performing centers. arts centers and yeah. stuff and bookers would find us on there and we got gigs from that. Um but that's been a big kind of central focus of our of our how we've been starting to get these opportunities so you're looking at it as the reach even if uh yeah we tend to hear more about artists don't get paid on streaming yeah. services but you're looking more we'll take the audience well Certainly, we got paid i mean it's not yeah. like we made millions of dollars by any means but we we get paid from them we don't we aren't signed so we're not cutting it with anybody else and maybe that's a slight difference yeah. for some people um, yeah typically when we hear artists that complain about spotify not paying them i'm like well hold on a second are you signed? <laughs> you have you're signed to Warner Brothers. You wrote the song with twelve other people, right? You know, so it's like you're getting a portion of a portion of a portion of a portion. I'm like, we own all our masters and our publishing, so it's like we get all that. So you know, it's been enough to pay our rent and you know, well, it, help yeah. with the help yeah. with the studio, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and then you know, the truth of it is, and I tell people this all the time who ask about like, how do you make it? as an independent artist. And it's like, the truth of it is you can't put your eggs all in one basket. And I don't think we need to treat things so preciously that like I teach lessons when I'm home, you know, um, we do some, we help with some marketing. You do some studio work too. Like we rent out our studio to other people, um, or just play on other stuff. Um, and like we have friends that do sound engineering. It's like, you know, we can't just be so precious about it that, oh, no, 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 we can only earn our music from gigs and stuff. And it's right. like, well, let's be realistic here. We just want to be able to do music. And sometimes you have to put your hands in a bunch of different things. And that's that's OK. Right. You know, whatever you got to do. 
Flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 